and welcome to episode number 250 of Artificial Turf Wars. Can you believe it? We are here at the end of another Blue Jays season. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the impossible to dissuade from following this team, Joshua Housem. How's it going, Josh? <laughs> They're trying. Uh, no, 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 that's not actually true. But, I, you know, episode 250, you kind of hope it would be something a little more special. <laughs> Instead, we're talking about the Jays getting bounced. If, if, this was a, if this was a Seattle Mariners podcast... It would be a super special episode. It would be amazing. But we, we did not have the foresight to be a Seattle Mariners podcast. What were we thinking, Greg? Oh, crap. We had 40, what, three, 44 years to figure it out? Uh, 45? Anyway. So, the Blue Jays are done. And it's our job to bring you up to speed. As though none of you <laughs> have any idea what just happened. If you don't have any idea what just happened somehow, I'm really sorry. You might want to just, you know, switch over to your favorite music or something right about now. If that if that music at the top didn't key you off yeah. as to what happened. Okay. We only have two games to talk about. Um game one. Alec Manoa not even arguably the Blue Jays' best pitcher this year, and certainly the Blue Jays' pitcher, uh, best pitcher in September, gets the ball versus uh, trade deadline um, success story Luis Castillo. And we get off to the races with a Manoa who, who cannot keep his team from being down right out of the gate. It was a very unfortunate start. He got to two strikes on Julio Rodriguez, and then he hit him. And I was like, oh, boy, right? Like, this is not how you want your postseason run to begin with a hit batter on two-strike count. And then he gave up two hits with two strikes and a run scored, including oh, – sorry, a hit for two strikes and then a two-run home run with two strikes. And immediately the Jays were down 3 nothing, And it didn't feel like it was over. Or anything like that. I mean, it felt very much like, okay, 3 nothing. It's it's tough because, you know, Luis Castillo is good and the Mariners' bullpen is really good. But Luis Castillo has given up runs before and the Jays' offense is pretty good. But uh didn't quite turn out that way, did it? No, because Luis Castillo went from pretty good to uh, start of his career. Um Throwing 100 miles an hour with 19 inches of run. Uh <laughs> Those are some crazy pitches. And I'm not saying the Blue Jays shouldn't have scored runs, but watching the way the ball was coming out of his hand, I understand why they didn't really have much of a chance to score runs. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I'm sitting there watching this game, and in the first inning, against, I think it was against Vlad, I see 100.3 flash <laughs> up on the screen. And I'm like, 100.3? <laughs> Looked it up, yeah. That's the hardest pitch he's thrown all year. And he threw in the first inning of this game. And the third hardest pitch he'd thrown in his career. And it was one of five pitches he threw at 100 or higher in the game. When Castillo is doing that with sinkers and four-seamers, because he did it with both, the, hard one, the hardest one was the sinker, there's not much you can do. I mean, I thought he was tailor-made to pitch to the Blue Jays anyway because of his slider changeup. He didn't even really need them. <laughs> I mean, nope. he... He used them, but with the way his fastballs were working, it wasn't really they were they they just didn't have a chance. <clears throat> no, there there was an old Rance Molnix always used to say about uh Roy Halliday. He can cut it or he can sink it, but you have to pick one or the other. And if he's got both, you're screwed. Um because you're trying to chase two fastballs that do different things. Uh and <laughs> the Blue Jays were trying to chase pitches that did different things, but looked obviously looked the same to them. And that's yeah. the deep, deepest a starter has gone in a postseason game since, like, I think it was, like, 2019 or something. He got, you know, through seven and a third. Yeah, and it's funny. I think three starters or four starters went seven innings in the first, in the first round. But, uh, yeah, it was he was just dominant. Uh, Manoa was not great. <clears throat> you know, he lasted five and two-thirds, I believe it was, gave up four runs. He hit Julio Rodriguez again in the fifth, and he came around to score. So, you know, he was – 
the the runs were of his own making. It wasn't defense. It wasn't guys hitting the ball hard. I mean, a home run from Rowley was hard, but you know he hit guys and put them on base and put himself into a hole. So he wasn't great, but I mean Castillo. And then they they go from Castillo just you know throwing these crazy things, and here comes Andres Munoz <laughs> reaching 102.9 <laughs> miles an hour with a slider that I think he threw in at 93.9, and you know, at some point, you just sort of tip your hat and just say, like, okay, like, we got beat. 93.8, he topped out with a slider on a ball to Teoscar. But they just – they ran into two buzzsaws in game one, and their guy just didn't have the perfect game he needed to have in order for that to work. So, yeah, it was unfortunate. And they had some bad luck, too, like where they'd get two hits with two outs. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. Yeah, one I, of those I, happened I, earlier. I think they got one leadoff batter on all game, um, or none. And yeah, I, I was I was watching the game with my wife, and I'm like, a two out rally and a no out rally are very different animals. <laughs> They're so different. Yeah. Um And and the Blue Jays suffer for it. But I don't. I mean, I don't hold Alec Manoa responsible for losing the game, right? Because you, I, I get no, that he, no. he, you know, he didn't put himself in a position to 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 look great but at the same time you can't assume no runs given up from your starter uh no they didn't score so they lost no. you know yeah no I, i'm not blaming yeah. Manoa for the loss no, no, i'm no, saying I, he I, wasn't just, sharp either i'm just saying that there was some after the game sort of um you know uh post-mortems where it's kind of like well should he have been better well he could have been better but it wouldn't have mattered <laughs> this is yeah um so, that, yeah, the Jays had that second inning, too, where they went, Kirk let off with a single. And then Teoscar immediately did a double play. And then Chapman got a single. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. We're not going to be laughing when we start to talk about game two. Is there anything else about game one that we want to talk about? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I thought that it was – well, I guess, I guess the other thing we could talk about is that I thought that the bullpen usage was good. You know, in the regular yeah. season, down for nothing, you might have seen here comes Trent Thornton or whatever. You know, he used their guys. I mean, Richards came in, but Richards has been one of their guys of late. Richards, Pop, but Garcia and Meza both pitched. You know, they yeah. they weren't shy, they weren't trying away from the fact that they could come back, and I liked seeing that. Yeah, and I mean, and none of those guys was going to be unavailable because of the way they were used, right? No, so that's not a problem. Um, so yeah, I was fine with that. Uh, then. Okay. Game two was just just embarrassing and horrifying all at the same time. They were they they they, they took Paul Sewald who had who had made the sweep motion in Seattle uh, to the fans that was a little over the top. I think some people, you know, that, that gift got circulated around and they ruined his entire day. Um and we're up eight to one after they, they turned him into mincemeat. After beating up on Robbie Ray to start with. Yeah. Two home runs from Teoscar Hernandez and some Robbie chance from this, you know, bringing back some Cueto yep. memories. But it looked really good for. Like, okay. So <laughs> I, I was there with Nick and we were on TV and there, and someone sent me a picture of it. And I'm this is during the eighth. So you can understand the moods, but I'm sitting there with my arms crossed and looking stony faced and Nick's there with his hands over his mouth, looking nervous. I sent it to him and he said, well, you know, that half anything where they're up eight to one was relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Kevin Gossman's line looks horrible for this game, but is anything but right. He gave him five and two thirds and he walked away with the bases loaded after getting a strikeout with the bases loaded. So he was at a pop up. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he had seven strikeouts and five and two-thirds. He only allowed five hits, only walked one. So he's got, you know, basically a one, one base runner per inning. He left in a bit of a pinch. Um, and, and here we go with, I mean, okay, a, a strategic decision that a lot of people didn't understand and disagreed with, but there's no way this decision should have cost them the game. The decision was turn Carlos Santana around by bringing Tim Meza, the lefty. 
I hated it. I mean, I, I think I said as much on Twitter before the home run or for the yep. wild pitch and then the home run, I should say. It was very much managing scared, I think is the way to put it, because he was managing not to have a home run be hit, which, <laughs> oops, but because uh, <laughs> Santana hits for more home runs from the right side, left side. But he hits just way better overall from the right side. And he was up with the bases loaded. You know, if he hits a double, then three runs score anyway. It's like, okay, you're down, you're up eight to four instead of eight to five, but that's still pretty bad. The odds were he was better that he was going to get an RBI hit, at least two RBIs because of two outs, with the switch. And then after the wild pitch, that three runs would score. And the also the the other thing is that Gossman is really, really tough on left-handed batters. And Meza is not on right-handed batters. At least he wasn't at the end of the season. He was terrible against him at the end of the season. And, like, uh, there was nothing wrong with what Gossman was doing, right? He induced, he, in, he got a strikeout. He induced a weak pop-up. Obviously, he's under a lot of stress. But at the same time, is, is anybody in that bullpen any better than Kevin Gossman at that instant? Maybe Yimmy Garcia. Jimmy Garcia? I don't know what he is. I forgot the pronunciation uh, again. It's Yimmy or Jimmy. It changes depending on who you ask. Okay. Garcia, um, I guess, is the other option there to go to this early in the game, which, I mean, he ended up going to him after Mesa anyway. Um, but, okay. Strategy backfired. You shake it off. Mesa gets two outs. Um, and now it's eight to five. Right. And now, and, and also, I just, the idea that Gossman, Gossman took a no-hitter into the fifth. Yeah. And he gave up a run in the fifth. He, uh, he uh, yeah, there was a it went single double by Santana off the top of the fence. So I guess that's why he, they got scared. But again, managing scared. Mm -hmm. And they got out of it. But here were the hits he gave up in that inning, the, the in the sixth, before he was taken out. Laser single from Ty France. Okay. Flare single from Eugenio Suarez. Fly ball that somehow wasn't caught single from Cal Raleigh. That's it. I think the last two hits were under 75 miles an hour off the bat. And then he went strikeout pop-up. So he clearly had one pitch that got hit hard in the inning and then beat the next four hitters. And then they took him out to have a matchup that was worse. And I just... Look, I'm not blaming the loss on it, but I'm not not at the same time because, <clears throat> you know, they were up 8-5 at the end. Like, they were still winning, as you said, so I can't blame the loss. But that was a bad decision. Yeah. Um, so we continue forward with more decisions. <laughs> Two outs from uh, Garcia. That gets them through the seventh. That is the only reliever they brought in who did his job. <laughs> which is where I'm like, where I started to tear my hair out. Um, Anthony Bass gets the uh, eighth, right? Am I adding these up, right? Fifth? Yep. So, yeah, yeah. Bass started Anthony eighth. Bass yeah. gets the eighth, and despite giving up no real hard contact, cannot get an out. Yeah, that was another one where... So, one of the odd decisions that before this that affected the pop-up that wasn't caught... With Gossman's inning and the first the fly ball that wasn't caught to lead off Bass's inning. <clears throat> so Merrifield got hit in the head and had to come out. And despite having an eight to one lead, they sent Tapia to left field. Instead of and, Jackie Bradley Jr. Right. Now it probably means uh, the move is actually probably that Bradley goes to center, Springer to right, and Teoscar to left. So it would still be like that. Some of those balls might get caught. Some of them might not, but we'll get to one that would probably be caught later. But hmm. it's just, why are you making, you're managing scared with the Mesa move. And then you're not making the move. That's the best idea when you're up for defense, despite being up seven runs. I, it's like, they just felt like they needed to score more. I, I, I just didn't get it. Um, so Anthony Bass goes three hits, 
um, loads the bases and turns it over to Jordan Romano. And it looks like, okay, six out save. Jordan Romano has been called upon to do this a bunch in a, this year. This is still a winnable, a very winnable game. Even if Romano gives up a single, something like that. Um, the slider was working for all in, that I could see for all intents and purposes. But at this point, uh, my brain started to shut down, so I couldn't really watch the game. So you'll have to speak for what happened um, after this. So, so this is when this is actually the first batter up, I believe, was Santana, which, you know. <laughs> it was uh it, given what had happened earlier in the game obviously people were a little worried um so i don't really know how to describe properly what it felt like in the stadium while this was going on like the picture that i that i have i'll post it i'll throw it up there on, on the twitter account so people can see what i look like during this antenna at bat who struck out but it just felt wrong I didn't think they were not going to get it. I didn't think they were going to give up all three, right, with Romano pitching. I just thought it would become a lot closer game. And especially when he went strikeout, strikeout on more on Santana and more to bring up the nine-hitter, J.P. Crawford. I thought he was going to get out of it. Yeah. And then disaster, which, the, you know, the song we played again at the top of this, that, like, just disaster. Like, not the worst possible thing that could have happened happened. And, I mean, if you if you had asked me to predict how badly the next pitch could go before this flare into center field. I would not have been able to, to capture the scope <laughs> of all of the things that went wrong in like eight seconds. There are three possible outcomes on that play. The ball gets caught, which probably would have happened if Bradley was there because Springer got a bad jump, but okay. He wasn't out there, so... It didn't get caught. The ball just bounces in for a single. Or what actually happened? The first two happened, the Blue Jays probably win the game. Yep. Or at least they don't necessarily lose it because Romano did give up another run in the ninth. But they get out of that inning with the lead if either of the first two things happens. But because Bichette and, and Springer ran into each other, the ball just bounced away and three runs scored. So they had the tie game and Springer's being carted off the field. It's like, holy crap. <laughs> Could that, that have gone That worse? is the, the loudest to the quietest I have ever, ever seen that stadium go. I mean, I, I have seen where a pitcher has gotten hit in the head, right? And, and things have gone from very, you know, normal to, oh my God, what the hell happened? But with Springer and Bichette lying on the turf, it felt like there was about six people in that whole place after having been just screaming for the out with, with Romano seconds earlier. Yeah. And honestly, credit to Romano for striking the next batter out because, I mean, the mood in the stadium was just completely... I, I again, I can't. I was there, right? I was sitting mm -hmm. twelve rows up, but I, but uh, like you just you could have heard a pin drop. Like it, it, it was so quiet until Springer waved as they were going out of the, out the door, and then it got loud again, cheering for Springer. But and, and you know what? Credit to the fans for cheering again for the last batter of the inning. Yeah, like if they had just shut down completely, I would understood. Yeah, the Jays had coughed up an eight to one lead. But no, they were rising to their feet and cheering when they to get Romano through the bottom, the last batter of the inning, who, you know, pretty good hitter. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, and and watching on on TV, um, looking at George Springer again. I'm not a doctor, but looking at George Springer's reaction, the way his eyes were moving, the way he was having trouble trying to focus, I would not be surprised if Springer was not concussed um yeah I, I think we're probably gonna hear that he was right and they, and they, Which, they walked Julio rodriguez intentionally right after right and then they brought up ty france ty france does not strike out very much and and romano struck him out at that point it's like they could still win this game and then here comes andres muñoz out of the bullpen it's like oh no <laughs> <laughs> i after they tied it you know again mentally i was like nope this was not meant to be this 
you know, this is even if they win this game, uh, they're not going to have George Springer tomorrow. Um, and there, you know, there could be a lot of other things going on by that point. But, but it, I was just like, it just you, you had your chance, and every reliever who has come in, save, save two outs from Garcia, has objectively failed to do what they are supposed to do, which is to, you know, you're supposed to be able to get through nine outs without giving up five runs. And yeah, yeah. Romano comes back out, gives up another run. Simber comes in for one out after he walks two people because, hey, why not? <laughs> uh, and thus ends the Blue Jays season. Uh, yeah. For the second time in a week, they had someone celebrating on their field. <laughs> it, uh, like, just as, as a step back, I, I don't know what to do with, with my, my baseball fandom at this moment. I really don't. Uh, I, you know, to, to feel good when they win, you have to be invested, right? You have to have some emotional component. I mean, I can, I can look at baseball as an interesting mathematical slash physics puzzle. Um, but to be a fan of a team, you have to be invested so that it feels good when they win, right? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how to do that and not feel like my guts were ripped out when something like this happens. And I thought I did. You know, I've been a baseball fan since like 1991, 1990, 1991, basically, on and off. Um, and I just, I just did not know what to do with myself as it all un unraveled, right? That helpless feeling just too much yeah well so we, we, nick and i were talking about it and he was saying something similar even when the jays were winning like early in the game it wasn't eight to one yet but i think it was when it was four one they, they were at four to one and they get to put up another four but before they put up the second four it's he was basically saying he felt like he had been hung over. he was hung over despite not having anything to drink and it wasn't a good feeling the, the nerves and, and, and the, the worry that can come with the fact that you're in an elimination game and you can't win the series in that game, it's not nice. It's not pleasant. But at the same time, it is kind of that something can make you feel anything like that at all. Like you have to have really care about something for that to happen. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's not a, just a baseball thing for me, because I mean, I, I have a, an entire life that doesn't exist for the hour a week that we do this podcast. I know no one, you wouldn't believe it, right? Um, watching my Twitter account. But yeah, it is it is when something you care about makes you sad. And, and you just have to watch like there's there's nothing nothing you can offer up to yourself or to anybody involved. That's going to make any difference whatsoever. The Blue Jays failed um like every other team uh or a half of the other teams that went into the wild card round with big hopes they fail um you know they they the, the only reason i think we're not talking about alec manoa as an abject failure as a, as a first game starter is because max scherzer who again should be better had one of the worst starts of his career on the biggest stage even as a veteran mm -hmm. so there's always failure, right? Out of out of thirty teams, twenty nine fail by the time two weeks from now comes. And like I said, I thought I thought I knew how to to deal with that and this go around. I just couldn't. I was just like, I just wanted to be over, and I don't even care if they win or lose at this point. When it was when it was tied nine nine, I was like, I would just rather it be over because if they win. They're going to be going again tomorrow, and I feel like they're going to be at a horrible disadvantage. Well, I mean, I don't think they would have been, even without Springer. I still think they had them line up to match the, the Mariners. But I just, but I think that a collapse of this level, by the way, this is the no home team had ever in the history of baseball postseason blown a seven run lead. This is the first time that's ever happened. So everyone's experiencing something that has never happened before. And then when it does finally occur, when they t 
tie it 9-9 on a play like the one where they tied it on, it does feel like it's over. Like that that's a feeling that you that, that is hard to get over and it, it's I mean the fact that we're recording this now, I mean if we tried to do this yesterday. Oh man. <laughs> no, I I absolutely needed all 48 hours. <laughs> <clears throat> but you know like that I don't think that fandom usually involves that. I mean, I, I guess if you ask Cardinals fans blowing a 2-0 lead and losing 6-3 in game 1, they're probably feeling something similar, but eight to one. It's just you go from an extreme high to an extreme low, and it's very jarring. And it takes a while to get over that. I don't think it's common even when you lose, but that's all we have right now. So I understand where you're coming from. I just wanted that out there. I mean, the, the podcast is not uh, actually certified therapy that you can write off. Uh, but if you're listening, um, you're welcome to use it as whatever therapy you can manage. Because I certainly do it while I'm making it. Okay, so yeah, the Blue Jays season <laughs> is over um, again. Uh, so they went, just a quick review, 2020, shortened strike season, surprise uh, into the playoffs, went on the road, lost two games on the road, including a 7-1 loss. Um, and then they won 91 games the next year and didn't make the playoffs because AL East. They missed and by th one game. Yeah, and then... 2022 they make the playoffs and they go home with home field advantage and while well, that, that meant jack um they lose the you know two games into the playoffs so i mean I, i'm I, we're gonna get into questions shortly but a lot of the sort of discourse around building a team has to do with well in the next five years we we, we you know we want to make the playoffs multiple times so as much as I know that Mark Shapiro and, uh, and company um, would not tell you that this had been a successful uh, you know, journey for the front office, they have met the bar of doing the things that they wanted to do over these, these last three years. Sure. Uh, I mean, they took a team that was lost 95 games, I think it was, in 2019, to one that's winning 92 in 2022. Like, that's pretty good. After winning 91 in 2021, in two years, they turned a 95-loss team into a 91-win team. Yep. But one thing I'm very interested to see is – we'll get into offseason stuff in a bit, but – what the reaction is from the front office to and from the fan base in terms of buying tickets to what has happened because part of the problem i mean they didn't make, they did not draw 3 million fans despite last year's success and the promise of success this year it didn't happen now there are plenty of reasons that could happen economics uh, a lot of people moving out from downtown especially those with, with lots of money moving out uh, and both, still COVID worried. COVID, yeah. 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 No, the, the, and, but also the team was in a wild card spot from June until the end. They may have bounced out for a day here, but they had a wild card spot sewn up for two months. And the excitement level in the city wasn't quite there. I mean, they sold out the games. Much they didn't sell out the third game. That didn't happen. Or they, oh, they might have by the end, but not right away. And it just seemed like the fans were really going to become invested if they actually made the division series. And then, like, fully buying it, they didn't. And the same issues that plagued the team during the season, a shaky bullpen and some inconsistency from the lineup, especially against tough pitchers, were exactly what they lost with. So I'm curious to see how it plays out because expectations were not met at any point for a large section of the fan base, despite the fact they won 92 games and had and got wild card one. Yeah. Uh, on that note, we will go to the fan base uh, in the form of questions from them uh, when we come back right after this.
And we are back. And uh, for the last time in 2022, we're going to be taking your questions about games that have actually occurred and not hypotheticals. Although it seemed like some of you were going to squeeze the hypotheticals in anyway. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Uh, hypothetically, I'm hoping it's hypothetically, Blue Jay Way at Blue Jay Way 1 asks, Would you say it's time we all crack each other's heads open and feast on the goo inside? Mm, yes, I would, Greg. <laughs> this is a Simpsons reference where it's Kent Brockman. Yes, I would. Kent is the answer, but... <laughs> oh my goodness uh yeah i mean it feels that way I, uh, there's not much left except the goo so yeah have at her <laughs> which has been turned to goo by the blue jays performance in that game <laughs> oh yeah it'll get yeah. better but it's not good right now uh we're skipping the next one to, to to catch up to that question later quinn at lfg blue jays will the pain ever stop who uh that uh, depends on what you mean by that the sting of only... this loss? Yes, this that particular will. loss? I don't think it will ever stop. It will it will it will become a dull ache, right? This will be this will be definitely remembered in Blue Jays history the same way that the last week of 1987 is remembered, right? Maybe less so, just in the sense of like it was still the first round. Um 1987 wasn't even the playoffs. I know, but they would have gone straight to the ALCS. <laughs> they wouldn't have to go through three more rounds to get there. But and they were never winning the series. That said, you're right. There'll probably always be a memory. Like it was eight one. Like they always say the Leafs fans, it was four one, right? Yep. Um as for the pain of fandom, <laughs> I don't think that ever goes away. <laughs> Yeah. So you win. If you actually win a World Series, it's worth it. And then it starts again. Yeah. So we're we're riding the uh the injection of goodness from 1993 still. We're still doing that. It's fine. If you weren't alive then, you can go back and watch videos. They they made they made these cassettes <laughs> which are still available. Um Howie says at says underscore Howie asks, we keep hearing the Jays are young and this is a learning experience. What are they learning besides disappointment from two wildcard exits, four games in total and being swept both times? Um, not much. I, I, I think this is kind of just talking points. Learning. I mean, if you ask like how to, it, you know, Springer was, was talking about, you know, learning to deal with your body down the stretch run in September so that you're healthy for the postseason and, <laughs> as much as he was but yeah. of course of course he was the guy who gets hit in the wrist in game one and then runs his wrist into the fence trying to catch a ball yeah did catch it but it's naturally the guy who's already banged up gets banged up more but i don't know what the learning experience really is from these kind of things i guess it's learning about your it maybe from the front office more than the players like learning about the flaws that have been exploited in these short series but there's also there was just a lot of noise too. Like, how many of those hits were bloops by the Mariners on pitches out of the strike zone? There were a whole bunch of hits they got on pitches out of the zone that blooped in for hits, and then they'd get the big hit or the another bloop hit and score runs. So I don't know. There's, I mean, I guess the front office can learn. We need some bat missing, but other than that, I don't know what there is to take away from it. Other than it really sucked. Yeah, I, I think there is something to be said for what, you know, Alec Manoa's response in his next postseason start, you know, whenever whenever that might be, um, is not going to be emotionally the same as this one, right? He he may have been amped up, he may have had adrenaline, he may have had a lot of things on his mind because it was his first time. Um, so I think little things like that might might factor in here and there. But I think the announcers do overblow the talking point of experience. Otherwise, the players talk about it too, and the coaches. But I just I don't know. I mean, without being in the room, I can't think of possibly what they would learn. Um, Colleen Evans has two things uh, that she has. One is she says there's evidence by the Mariners' reactions that they hit Springer intentionally in Game One. Do you think the pitch to Merrifield was also intentional? Any possible justification? I I don't think that was an intentional beaning of Merrifield. It was an 0-2 slider. It definitely wasn't intentional. It just slipped out of Castillo's hand. Yeah. Um, 
I get why Merrifield wasn't happy, though. Nobody wants to get hit in the helmet. <laughs> um, and her next question, what are your thoughts on the new wildcard format? It did make for more baseball drama, but in all matchups, it only prolonged the inevitable. Uh, Colleen is, of course, referring to the fact that every loser of game one failed to advance to the next round. I think that's kind of fluky. Although, in a three-game series, you lose game one, you're kind of in trouble. But I don't know. I always liked the one-game element. I always thought that was kind of fun. It just set, created a bit more. Like, for example, I was at game one. And then when they were down and they were losing, I was just like, well, you know, the Jays could still win the next two games. It just didn't have the same impact that it would have had if, like, oh, my God, they're down 4 nothing in the fifth inning and they have to score in the next four innings or they're out. Um. And it also would have led us not to have to deal with the second game. So right now, I think it's horrible. I uh, perspective, but oh, go ahead. Then I'll I'm not a back. fan of any time the playoffs get expanded by games or by teams. It just it's always looked to me like like it dilutes the regular season, and it's just advertisers in the league trying to make more money and. You know, I, I think I might feel differently if they drop back to a 154-game season. Um, and and we weren't, you know... I, I understand with the lockout, there was there was a whole mess of the schedule. But, like, every time they do it, it pushes baseball towards November again. And it's like, I don't... I don't want that. <laughs> I, want, I want baseball to be over in a reasonable amount of time with the best teams competing. Not, not some random... 88 win team going head to head with the the you know 100 and whatever win Dodgers and just getting shellacked because they got they got lucky in a couple of short series. I just feel like it's like ugh, why are we doing? Well, I tend to agree with that. I think we've said that when they first did this. But going back to the for the previous part of the the Springer part of that. So I was at the game, so I didn't really notice what you're talking about, Colleen. But if they threw at Springer intentionally, Brad, get the button ready. That's chicken. There's no chance Manoa tried to hit Julio Rodriguez intentionally with either pitch. He scored both times in a game that they had to win. It's Alec Manoa. That's just the way he pitches sometimes. And he hits batters. At least he can hit batters like in both years he's pitched, I think. Yep. And, you know, it's because he comes up and in with fastballs. But the idea that he would be throwing at Julio Rodriguez in, in either of those spots is insane. So if the Mariners did that, especially at the velocity they were throwing at, then they should be booted from the league. Like, I'm not, but like they shouldn't be allowed to play in the next round of the postseason. I can't, was it Munoz who hit him or was it Castillo? I can't remember. But you're throwing at a guy at 100 miles an hour for nothing. You should be allowed to play the next round. All right. Um now, we turn our eyes slightly forward with Matthew Trueblood at MAT Rublood. Does Strip get a qualifying offer? Feels like the Jays are too good at developing and improving starting pitching at the big league level to want to keep him at free agent prices. But if he turned down the qualifying offer and they could get a pick for him, dot, dot, dot. It's a really tough one because in a vacuum, giving him a qualifying offer for the chance, you know, 18 million bucks is a lot for a guy who could re regress a little bit, but it's also not in a vacuum. The Blue Jays have a projected salary with no other moves of 172 million based on arbitration projections, which came out on MLB trade rumors. This we're recording this on uh, Thanksgiving Monday. So it came out today. So if they add 18 million for stripling, that takes them to $190 million. Now, there could be a couple of non-tenders in there, some trades, and Ryu, there's insurance, I'm sure, on his contract. So some of that money is going to come back, the $20 million he's owed. But unless they're getting a gigantic bump from Rodgers or they just know Stripling is going to turn it down, I don't know if they can do it. I, I think that they could try to resign him at a lower dollar figure, but I can't see how they can justify a qualifying offer if they think he'll take it. Uh, because it's a question based in what the Jays do as opposed to what we want to see, I have nothing to add because I think you're probably right about what the Jays do. <clears throat> dot, dot, okay. dot. <laughs> um, and uh, then we have uh, Bored and Lazy at Bun Bundler MCD says, uh, extend trade or let walk for the three catchers. What is surely going to get moved? 
what would you do? I mean, I, I'm trying to trade Danny Jansen, right? I guess Jansen was the best hitter on the team. <laughs> yeah, and, and the most injury prone of uh, anybody on the team. And I know you're going to be like, well, they're not all the same injuries, but it. I should agree with that. But oh, okay, he's the most injury um, prone on the team. So my my deal is, you need to get, uh, you need to fill those with with you know decent bats. I think Gabriel Moreno and Alejandro Kirk between them can probably hit for enough contact and power. I know you're not going to have, you know, the the best uh, power hitting out of that position. But at the same time, this is Danny Jansen peak value. That's that's my choice. Yeah, I, I mean, this is the cop out answer. But to be honest, it really just comes down to what people will offer you for the three guys. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, I think that if you can upgrade elsewhere legitimately like if you can get brian reynolds yeah they can have kirk or or whatever you know to play or like say say them in the pie in the sky world the angels make shohei otani available well kirk goes in that trade because kirk's value goes way down if you get a guy like otani because you got a dh um but i don't know i i just think that it really will come down to how other teams value the catchers as opposed to how we do because other teams could look at jansen and say yeah this guy had a great slugging percentage but he only played 40, he only had 240 plate appearances, right? Because he yeah. did. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So, uh, I don't know, it's going to be really tough to see. It's really interesting to see how, where that's going to go. I just, I can't really give a good answer, unfortunately. I think I skipped Al's question while I was scrolling up and down. Yeah, least. there were two more questions still. Uh, we have Al at Ali Ali Hart. What hopeful signs did you see this season to help us all fend off despair and agony? Uh, I'm not really your guy to, to, to fend off despair and agony. Maybe Josh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Kirk's evolution as a defensive catcher, absolutely. Uh, even in that game one, if you watched it, he stole, what, a dozen strikes for Manoa? Half dozen at least? We talked about this shadow zone that Manoa pitches in and how good Kirk is at catching those balls. And it showed up in game one. The ump scorecard came out and it was all tilted towards the Blue Jays because of Kirk. So that's absolutely something. And I think Bo returning to form and actually putting up his normal season in the end can give you some hope that he could do this for a full season again when he just sort of figured something out. And yeah, I'll just give you. Yeah, I'll give you that for now. That's a couple. Those are a couple of really good ones, I think. And you know, they have Gaussman uh, and Manoa coming back. Say, yeah, Gaussman mm. and Manoa are, are are genuinely a, a one-two punch in the starting rotation. Which, if if the playoffs do come around again, you need right. You you can't have a bunch of number threes and get very far in the playoffs. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and, oh, Jordan Romano. Sure, there you go. And one more thing. The Blue Jays won 92 games despite Jose Barrios having the highest ERA of any qualified pitcher. That's not likely to happen again. <laughs> so that's the fact that they were still that good despite him being that bad. That's something to hope for, I think. All right. And is, is Luke's question the last question? Yes. Sad about sports at Split Letters says, so... Is this the point where we start questioning the front office and their inability to build a good bullpen? Like, I get contact guys being a market inefficiency or whatever, but it sure doesn't seem like that's viable in the playoffs. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny that this is... You look around the league, and we've talked about this in this podcast before, but you look around the league, every team can develop power relievers except the Blue Jays. Look at the Orioles or the Mariners. Like the Mariners come out. Look, here comes Andres Munoz and Paul Seawald is not throwing as hard, but they have, you know, the Diego Castillo they traded for, and they and you know they didn't go to everybody because they ended up bringing their George Kirby out throwing ninety nine miles an hour out of the rotation, but 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 as the closer. But I think that the Jays stick with some guys too long in their rotation. And it hurts their ability to become good relievers. Like, like Thomas Hatch, if they just tossed him into the bullpen, he could he was touching 97, 98 even when he was pitching in the bullpen in 2020. But the, he's been a depth, bad depth starter for two years now. Um, so uh, does Pearson transition to that bullpen? 
If he does, then maybe you've got your power arm right there. But if they keep trying him as a starter and he keeps getting hurt, at some point he lost, he loses the ability to do anything. So he could stay as a starter. I'm not. It's not. There's no perfect decision, but it is a problem that they have not been able to do this. Now, part of it is that they've been so good in the last couple of years that they can't just throw guys out there and see what happens, like the Orioles did, for example. But it's a problem. Um. Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll leave that there. So that is your questions. I do have an unusual gold star to hand out, if you will indulge me. Sure. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. Buck Showalter um, has once, once before found himself in an elimination wildcard game with his closer in the bullpen. Do you, do you remember that, uh, Josh? You mean, do I remember 2016 when Zach Britton, <laughs> when, I, when I was in the press box for the game and all the Orioles relief, uh, writers were like, what's wrong with Britton? Is Britton hurt? Why isn't Britton pitching? It was very entertaining. <laughs> and the answer was because Buck Showalter. So Ibaldo Jimenez gave up a walk-off. Was it a walk-off? Of course it was. <laughs> yeah. was it, gave up a walk-off home run to Edwin Encarnacion in one of the greatest playoff moments Um in Blue Jays history. You would think I would be giving a very belated gold star to Buck Walter for that, but I'm not. Finding himself in the same situation, I am giving uh, Buck Showalter a gold star for learning from his mistakes. In the seventh inning of a must-win game with the New York Mets, um, facing elimination uh, and, and in big trouble, Buck Showalter turned to Edwin Diaz, his closer extraordinaire, before the ninth inning. And it didn't work anyway, but <laughs> but oh well. Sometimes you have to you have to reward the process, Josh. He did the day before and it did work. Um Yeah, it turns out that sometimes you can push all the right buttons and still lose. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> instead of a World Series trophy, uh this year, Buck can have a gold star. All he has to do, swing by the podcast. We'll mint him one. All right. You wanted to take a brief, a brief uh, glance forward just to yeah, touch I'll make on... this a final thought. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it is that time. It is then the end of the podcast. What is in store for the Blue Jays um, after, you know, World Series wraps up and this thing we call the offseason starts? I have no idea. And that's the <laughs> thought. No, no. Last year... Well, two years ago, let's say, let's go back two years because it was very obvious. They needed a center fielder and they needed an infielder that we thought would be a third baseman. It turned out they got a second baseman and moved Biggio to third. But And they got Springer and Simeon. Last yep. year, they needed a starter to replace Ray. They needed a starter to replace Mats. And they needed an infielder to replace Simeon. We knew this. <clears throat> so they got, they got Gusman. They got... Kikuchi, which didn't work out very well, and they got Chapman. This year, I don't know exactly what they need. <clears throat> I mean, they they need better starting pitching, I think, but they also still have Kikuchi under control. They have Barrios under contract. They have Manoa under contract, Gaussman under contract, and they have Mitch White. So I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do there. They could use relievers. <clears throat> sure. But they have Romano, Simber, uh, Meza, Garcia, Pop. Richards, Pop, and Bass all under control for next year. And if one of Mitch White or Kikuchi is in the pen, that's your eight. <clears throat> so, and they could use more left-handed, they could use left-handing outfielder, but they have Gar they have Lourdes, so they have Teoscar still. So, all these things that they could do, I still have no idea what they're going to do. And then there's those three catchers that we talked about earlier. It's the most baffling interesting potential offseason that they've had. And also they could decide, you know what, we're running this back mostly because it was a good team that just had some things go wrong with a tweak here or a tweak there. Or they could try to go 1991 Blue Jays and do the Alomar Carter trade and trade out, you know, two players that we think would never go anywhere. So I'm very curious to see what happens. And I just don't have any idea what will happen. I, I think, yeah, I, I agree with you completely i think the market may surprise if someone like shohei otani if becomes available i think that might tempt the blue jays to retool 
completely. Also, so many times a team has just reassembled the same band when they've had a good amount of success and then had it not work out at all. It's almost tempting to, to hope they just do things so that you could say that they did things. And didn't sit on their hands, even though their hands are, you know, the hand that they're sitting on is, is a decent winning hand. And none of these players are, you know, past their prime by any stretch of the imagination. Yep. All right. Well, um, my final thought is uh, soul crushed. <laughs> feel feel better now a little bit after a pause and a, and a chat about it with you. Um, so my recommendation to all of you out there is uh, find a friend who really understands baseball the way you do and just just get it all out there. Just get it off your chest. And um, yeah, and, and then before you know it, pitchers and catchers will be reporting and, and you'll be all foolishly back into it for another 162 games of nonsense. Which is to say, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010 and this has been episode number 250 a couple of weeks. artificial Church.